Hello and welcome in. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Ferry and Smith podcast. The 2023 Sunbelt football season brought plenty of excitement from start to finish. Texas State earned and won their first bowl game in program history, while Old Dominion overachieved expectations on their way to a second bowl appearance in three seasons under Ricky Ronnie. Today, we're putting their 2023 seasons in review as we continue our annual in-review series. But before we do, we wanted to tell you about Wednesday's episode. Caden and I were joined by the voice of the Trojans, Barry McKnight, as well as Georgia Southern voice, Danny Reed, to put the 2023 seasons for Troy and Georgia Southern in review. If you missed it, go back, give it a listen. Today, it's episode 172 of the show, and it's time to put the Texas State Bobcats and Old Dominion Monarchs in review. Voice of the Bobcats, Clint Shields, will join us first, followed by a conversation with Voice of the Monarchs, Ted Alexander, later in this episode. Caden, let's start with the Texas-sized elephant in the room. Less than a day after we recorded our conversation with Clint, and he said a lot of glowing things about TJ Finley and him coming back. T.J. Finley announces that he's going into the portal after G.J. Kinney and staff brought in Arizona transfer Jaden Delora. The details surrounding the timing of this, honestly, partner, they're a little bit murky. Either way, it looks like it's now Delora's job, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on the quarterback situation in San Marcos. Yeah, no, I think we're at the point of the transfer portal era where quarterback movement of any variety can't surprise us at all. I mean, one day you think a guy's committed somewhere, you think he's coming back to a school, and the next day you might see something different. And I think this is just a perfect case of it. I think we obviously all gave TJ Finley his proper flowers for him being able to step into this Texas State program and learn the system fairly quickly and have the best season of his career and really have a pivotal role in taking this program to new heights. We're not really sure what kind of went into his decision of him re-entering the transfer portal as that relates to Jalen Delora. But I think when you look at Jaden Delora and his career, this is a guy I had to write about when he committed um, to Texas State through on three. And his his resume is impressive. This is a guy that starts off his career at Washington State, is named the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year in that conference after throwing for nearly 3,000 yards and 23 touchdowns. He pretty much does the same thing or builds on those stats the following year. Arizona has an amazing year for them. And this past season with the Wildcats. He was a guy who started the season the first four games. He gets replaced by a backup, and then that backup proceeds to play good and kind of takes over that spot for the rest of the year. So he was kind of looking for a different home in the transfer portal, just having the ball not shake his way. But this is an extremely talented quarterback. And I think when you look at the way that TJ Finley was able to pick up this offense so quickly last year, I wouldn't really expect much of a fall off seeing Jalen Delora step into this role as the quarterback, having more time to learn this system that's clearly quarterback friendly, clearly one with a lot of weapons that we talk about in this episode as well. And he also brings an element and dynamic with his legs as a dual threat passer. So I think it is a different quarterback. You would love to see TJ Finley come back to Texas State, but I do think ultimately the Bobcat Cats are going to be in good hands under center with Delora as their quarterback heading into next year. Yeah, two things that come to my mind. One that's worth mentioning, as many have you know stated on Twitter after this announcement, there are some ongoing legal issues that Delora is dealing with. That's worth mentioning. And Kane, I think the other thing we saw TJ Finley post, you know, business is business here, and some of the things coming out of this have simply been that TJ Finley was caught a little bit off guard by the fact that GJ Kinney brought in Delora. Obviously, competition's a good thing, but. You know, there maybe is something to be said about loyalty here. We don't really know the full extent of that. I think there's more to get into in the future. But uh, certainly, TJ Finley, if he is not in a Texas State uniform at the beginning of the 2024 season, uh, his 
one season in Bobcats colors is certainly going to be remembered. Well, let's not waste any more time. Texas State's Clint Shields is here. It's time to review the Bobcats 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the voice of the Bobcats, Clint Shields, here in our latest interview in our Sunbelt in Review series. Clint, thanks for taking some time to come on the Ferrari and Smith podcast. Absolutely. I'm excited to be here. Excited. We're talking Texas State football on January the 12th. You know, it probably means something good just happened, which obviously it did. So, Hey, it was an excellent season. And let's get into that. When G.J. Kinney was hired in December of 2022, Clint, he spoke about lighting up the scoreboard. He and this staff did a ton of work recruiting upon his arrival in San Marcos. And just over a year later, he's capping off this season with the team's eighth win, its first ever bowl appearance and win. What were your expectations for G.J. Kinney, and how did he live up to those here in year one? You know, expectations were that I thought he could come in and make an immediate impact. Uh, You look at the previous coaching staff under Jake Spavital, and they largely took a similar approach in terms of hitting the transfer portal hard when it came to recruiting. And a lot of the guys that they pulled out of the portal were Texas guys who'd gone other places and then came back home to to play college football uh, from some Power 5 programs, some other group of five, JUCOs, et cetera. And I think in this day and age of the portal, there's a lot of hit and miss uh, that goes on with it, not just individual talent. Is this guy going to be as good as we think he is? But is this guy going to be as good with these five or seven other guys as we hope they will be together as a group? And I really think that's where G.J. Kinney and staff hit a home run. They brought in guys who, one, were talented, but two, played well with others, you know, guys that they had never met, whether they were still on the roster from the year before or came from another school similar to them. That was really the biggest thing for me as you watched early on in practice in the summer uh, before the first game at Baylor was this group seems to gel together well, even in practice. You could tell the camaraderie was there. They liked playing with one another, being around each other. And then it became a matter of when they take that to the field, what's that going to translate into? Are these guys as good as we think that they that they could be? And I think, you know, through the highs and lows of a football season, you're going to have your up games and your down games. Any team does. I think they proved they were actually they were there were some pretty good players in that group that they brought in. Great to have you joining us, Clinton. Let's focus on G.J. Kinney. He's clearly proven he can call an offense that he can recruit at a high level in this new time of college football. It looks like he's instilled a lot of confidence in his players as well. You've spent a lot of time around him since he's arrived at this program. Just through year one, what to you makes Coach Kinney special or unique? You know, he loves the college game. Uh, a guy who played a Texas high school football, played in college at Tulsa, spent some time in the NFL uh, with the Eagles in the CFL as well. And then he's been on some NFL staffs through his assistant coaching uh, days, but really loves the college game. When you ask him about it, it's really where he loves to be. Does that, does that mean he doesn't have an aspiration to get back in NFL coaching someday? I don't know. That'd be a question for him, but I know he loves to be in the college game, loves being here. And when the opportunity came, as he said on day one, this is a place that he felt like if the right guy got the job, watch out. Those were his exact words. He felt like he was the right guy. Assembled the staff to go out and recruit. The first thing they did, obviously, they they had to win some recruits, keep them home. One of those guys being Ashton Hawkins, who was a wide receiver, gone into the portal. They convinced him to stay. Had a big year alongside Cole Wilson and others. And I just feel like he's got that mentality. He is a football coach. Okay. 
he, he comes and I think over the course of the season, he got more comfortable like doing our coaches shows on, on Monday nights uh, from a little restaurant that we do them at, you know, got used to, uh, you know, some of the, the, the fun that we have, you know, goofy questions that get asked from the fans and, and Brandon Freeman and I, you know, try to keep it light in addition to, to talking football. But, you know, he walked in that first, uh, Monday night, the, uh, the Monday night after the Baylor game. And, uh, you know, the place was packed, uh, as you might expect, a standing ovation when he walked in. And in typical G.J. Kitty fashion, just, you know, he kind of humbly ducked his head and, and waved his hand in recognition of the standing ovation and, you know, came up and we got on with the show. He's, he's a football coach, loves to be around his staff, loves to be around his players, and their whole take back Texas mantra coming into this year, I think they were really able to get that across to those to those guys to, to bring Texas State, you know, to the next level, to a new era. I'm not really sure what what label you want to put on it, but they, they got it done ultimately. Well, Clinton, we've had him on the podcast speaking of G.J. Kinney a couple of times, and the thing that's always stood out is his love of recruiting. I mean, there have been multiple times where he's like, hey, I'm getting off this podcast to go do a little bit of recruiting, and his love of mm-hmm. that, I think, yeah, bodes well for the potential success of Texas State football in the future. But you talked about it. This team immediately announces that they would be a threat moving forward with that shootout win at Baylor in week one after what has been kind of an extended stretch of mediocrity for this program. How big was that singular game in the return of Texas State football to prominence? Well, a couple of ways you can look at it. You know, what, what does it mean to the program as a whole? And then what did it mean to that night, that one game on the schedule? You know, like so many group of five schools, Texas State usually has a power five opponent on, on their on their schedule or what used to be the power five. There may not be five of them next week. Who knows? Um, to go and get the win that night, you know, was, was kind of checking off that box to go and have a, a power five win over somebody. We felt like going into that game, we could be pretty good. One of the big unknowns was was just that right there. You really didn't know what you were what you were going to get. I had a, a fellow media member, you know, in the San Marcos area text me that morning and say, what do you think about tonight before I left to go to Waco? And I said, you know, I, I, I jokingly said, it'll probably be like meeting your future in-laws. It's either going to be really bad or it's going to be really good. I just don't really know what to tell you because we've never seen this team under fire for 60 minutes with a, a team in a different color jersey on the other side. They went out and answered the bell very quickly got the lead, never gave it up. You walked out of that thinking, okay, this team can be explosive. That's one of the things that I really liked about them going into the season offensively was their explosive potential. Defensively, can you make enough plays? Can you get enough stops in a football game to give yourself a chance to win? It's it's kind of the byproduct of an explosive, fast-paced offense is you put your defense on the field quite a bit. Obviously, they did respond in terms of Tackles for loss, sacks, both, uh, you know, up near the nation's leaders, uh, near the top in terms of school records. So they were an explosive defense as well, had a tendency to give up big plays, especially on third downs. And I think that's really an area that they'll need to improve on to, to maybe take that next step towards nine wins, 10 wins, challenging for a conference championship, because those are the teams that those are the things that separate good teams from really good and great teams is that is that ability to be a lead on defense. And I think that's one area that uh, uh, obviously G.J. Kenny and staff, they know that, and I'm sure that'll be a point of emphasis here in the offseason. 
Yeah, there's no question that'll be a point of emphasis, just looking at kind of the blueprint and the model of success and the formula this team will have to follow in 2024. But the offense is clearly figured out. They're definitely looking explosive. And a big part of that was TJ Finley. He was a big storyline for this team, joining the team late in the offseason after previously making stops at LSU and Auburn. He clearly looks the part. He clearly has the talent, but he doesn't step on campus really until the middle of the summer, winds up winning Mm -hmm. the starting job after camp and really never looks back. What will you remember most? about his 2023 season and how much does it mean that he announced his return to this program and that they can continue to grow offensively with him under center yet again for them? Yeah. Starting with your last question first, I think it means a lot. Uh, You know, you, you have Malik Hornsby get into the, into the portal the other day. So I think the signs kind of pointed towards TJ Finley coming back. Malik Hornsby is such a special athlete. Uh, I think it's really no surprise uh, that, that he, uh, you know, would move on looking for another opportunity because he's, He's the type of guy that, uh, you know, you need on the field in your group of 11. Obviously, only only one quarterback is going to get the snap on every play. And they chose to go with T.J. Finley to start the season. So his coming back along with the other pieces that are returning, I think it just it gives you a second-year guy in the offense with G.J. Kinney and staff knowing what it is that they want, the way this offense works. And, uh, you know, I think having been around offenses – you know, similar offenses over time, it's years two and three when the offense really begins to mature. You start to see the whole thing versus you're kind of drinking from a fire hose when you get there, as you pointed out, a little bit late in the process and you got a brand new offense that's being installed. Maybe you don't have it all even through year one. So we'll see what uh, rolls out in year two with it with some of the pieces that are returning. First time I saw him on campus, uh, you know, headed to practice. I mean, it was, it's kind of shocking, you know, how big he is to be playing quarterback. You know, he's literally like a defensive end size guy running around playing quarterback. And I was guilty, unfortunately, three, maybe four times throughout the course of the season of thinking he was sacked because he just disappeared into a pile of offensive and defensive linemen and linebackers. And you think, okay, that's a sack. And yet, he pops out of it, still standing because he's hard to bring down. You know, I'm famous, infamous, I'm not sure, you know, one night at Southern Miss, he manages to shovel one of those out. He's, he's at the goal line. He's being sacked. The only question is, is this going to be a safety or not? And he manages to get to the two, and then he literally sticks the ball out and almost hands it to Ishmael Mahdi, who goes 98 yards, got caught at yard 97, and had the ball poked out from behind. It goes into the end zone and out of the end zone for a fumble, and Southern Miss comes away with the football out of all that. Well, I'd flat out said he's sacked, and then all of a sudden, Monty's running down the field, and everybody's chasing him, and I'm like, i got to backtrack what I just said. This play's not over. <laughs> you know, that clip got out on the internet, I think, and I was I kind of laughed afterward. I said, I'm going to have to work a step behind from now on. When he's about to be sacked, i got to wait for him to be on the ground before I say before I say he's sacked, but he made a throw one day in practice down the seam, stepped into a throw and really fired a dart in between bracket coverage to a receiver. <clears throat> you know, looked at a colleague who looked at me and said, if we can make that throw, we'll win 10 games this year, because that's a throw that just hadn't been in the Texas State Arsenal in the now five years that that I've been in the booth, that deep shot down the seam to get it to a spot before safety can get over. It was just something we could not do. We could not stretch the field vertically like that other than just, you know, throwing up a 50-50 ball 40 yards downfield, hoping your guy comes down with it. So he adds that element, that ability to stand in the pocket, 
because he is a pocket guy. He's not a guy who's necessarily wanting to run around a lot. He can run, but it's not his first choice. He can stand in the pocket. He's one of those guys that, you know, is the it's a cliche, I know, can make all the throws because he can. I mean, he can throw it from sideline to sideline if he really gets the chance to step into it. So that was really exciting to to think about coming into the season. And then to the Baylor question that you asked, you know, it was really a special thing that night to see him direct the offense, to get the ground game going, and you saw some of the explosive uh, explosiveness of uh, Ishmael Mahdi complimented with with Calvin Hill and Denario Davenport and then, the you know, kind of the big power guy in Jamil Jeter. So you had the bases covered running the ball. T.J. Finley kind of added the piece, throwing the ball around to some really good receivers. Yeah, Clint, I think to your point, the talent was always there for T.J. Finley. It came down to finding a home. It seems like he has found that in San Marcos. And I know that Kate mm-hmm. and I are both excited to see uh, what year two in that offense looks like. You know, Obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about TJ Finley. We've spent a lot of time this year talking about Ishmael Mahdi, and rightfully so. But we want to ask about Joey Hobart because Caden has consistently called him one of the most underrated offensive weapons in the Sun Belt this year. He plays without gloves. What's impressed you with his game? Just kind of that uh, you've probably heard the the name by now, Sean Holton, the, the master of nicknames on the team, nicknamed him Joe Dirt back before the season started because he ran, he runs dirty routes is what he said. Uh, you know, he's one of those guys who finds a way to get open. I, we were talking off air, you know, before we, before we got started here, y'all know I'm a Texas tech grad, uh, you know, Wes Welker was that guy years and years ago in the, uh, in the Mike Leach offense. And then Danny Amendola after that, just kind of a slot receiver guy. Now Hobart can play wide if you need him to, but just finds a way to get open. And if you get the ball within about four feet of him, he's going to find a way to get his hands on it. If he gets his hands on it, there's a nine and ten chance he's going to bring it in. He's just one of those guys that's got that knack for knowing where to go, where to settle into a zone, where to break around into a into a dead space that may not even be there yet. And he developed the chemistry real quickly with uh, with TJ Finley. Uh, had a big night at Baylor. Obviously, the the one handed catch on the sideline that that got a lot of play on ESPN. Had a, a touchdown later in that game. You know, really just just came on. Comes from a football family, Billy Joe Hobart being his dad. We got a chance to meet them, uh, him and his mom, uh, you know, during the course of the season. Really good folks. Follow his career closely and, and, you know, a transfer from Utah Tech. You hear Utah Tech and you're thinking, where the heck is Utah Tech? Is that supposed to be Utah State? But no, it's not. You know, he came in after an All-American season there and you showed why it wasn't just a matter of classification. It was a matter of this guy can play. No, there's no doubt he can play. He's another one of those kind of college football journeymen that seemed to have found a home at Texas State and played some of his best football at Texas State in that offense that just has a, a, a list of weapons that makes it hard to choose who your favorite mm-hmm. is, I feel like, at times. But on the show, we also have to give some love to the defensive side of the ball. And this defense had some highs oh, yeah. and lows this year. I think it's hard being a defense that complements a high-powered offense, especially in a first season. But their aggressiveness and their effort was almost never in question when you watched them play this year. What did you like that you saw from this defensive unit last year? And maybe where would you like to see them improve a little bit as they go into a new season with a new defensive coordinator? I've, I've said for years, and I kind of I made this touched on this a minute a, a minute ago. I feel like you've got to be a lead on defense in certain areas in order to to be a championship team. When you look at wins and losses for Texas State this year, the the Troy game comes to mind. That's a fourteen thirteen game in the fourth quarter. Troy shuts out Texas State in the fourth. 
score 17 points to put it away 31-13. They didn't do that because, uh, you know, they're throwing the ball all over the field. They did that because defensively they're able to disrupt, get pressure. You've got to be able to do things along the defensive line. This is my opinion, obviously, but I've said it for years. If you can stalemate the defensive line, you can, excuse me, if you can stalemate the line of scrimmage with your defensive line, that's great. But you've still got to find a way to get an arm free to make a tackle or somehow grow a third arm to help you make a tackle. Because if you're tied up with a blocker, you're not really you're not really winning the ground. What Texas State did this year that impressed me was win the ground, either on the defensive line, bringing pressure off the edge, corner blitz, a safety blitz, probably something we hadn't seen a lot of in the last four and five seasons. One, they had the confidence to do it. Two, they had the athletes to do it, and it created tackles for loss. Uh, you know, they were tops in the country in tackles for loss. Number two in school history in terms of sacks. The school that they were behind, the team that they were behind, pardon me, in Texas State history is the 1982 team. What did that team do? Oh, they won a won national, the national championship. championship. Exactly. It's the elite teams. It's those elite elements on defense that carry you to championships. Offenses are pretty it's the defense that travels, you know, another old cliche to throw at. It's the defense that's going to get you over the hump. I felt like they had a lot more depth this year on the defensive line, able to rotate bodies in and out, uh, keep them fresh. When they went to a four-man front, I also, I also like that versus a three-man front. And I think it, it was a good thing for Texas State. Year two, what are they going to be able to bring in to complement the guys who are coming back, replace the guys who are moving on, like a Jordan Revels who's been here for so, so long uh, in his career, a Brian Holloway, a transfer from SMU in two seasons, obviously had the uh, the big night in the first responder bowl with two pick sixes. Um, the groundwork has been laid for this defense. An area that they got to get better on is third downs. You know, third down conversions, way too many. I think it was 48% um, conversion by opposing offenses, which is 12th in the Sun Belt, right? It's down there, and a lot of those third downs at times were third and longs, third and eight or even longer that uh, occurred at critical times. I can think of a third and 17 that Louisiana converted in the fourth down to keep a drive alive when Texas State had the lead in Lafayette. Ultimately, they go down and they score. They get a block punt. They score again, and that game completely turns, uh, you know, and and Louisiana wins a game that Texas State had led pretty much wire to wire up until the last, you know, three minutes of the game. So that's, that's for me, that's where the, the next level of improvement has to come. And I'm excited to see what comes out of year two of uh, the defensive growth to match what's happened offensively. Yeah. Clint, to further your point, that's something Caden talks a lot about those teams that have the knack to get off the field on third down and get the ball back to their mm-hmm. offense are the teams that are successful. Now, This team is coming off their best season, you know, really in recent program history. They have a head coach who's now shifted the culture and now a new performance center in the works, which, by the way, is going to be awesome, I think, for Texas State. There's a lot to be excited about. What are the next steps, in your opinion, that this program needs to continue to take as a whole? You know, that right there, continue to engage the fan base. You look at uh, attendance this year. We had uh, more than 27,000, I think, for for the season, the home opener with, with Jackson State. And. Uh, three crowds of the six, I think, top 22,000. Uh, you know, 30,000 is is what Bobcat Stadium seats right now. You put 22,000 people in there the way that stadium is designed, it gets loud. It was a, it was good to see the student section get back and, and involved this year. Um, you mentioned the, the construction going on with the uh, 
the student uh, performance center, the new weight room, um, et cetera, that's going on right there. Plans are in place for an indoor facility. I know that they worked out at SMU's indoor facility when they were up in Dallas for the first responder bowl and took a lot of notes from that place. And and even, you know, a place close by to, to campus, San Marcos High School, has a, a indoor facility that Texas State works out in when, when the weather is, is, is poor. Uh, you know, they, they do go over there and work out. So plans are in place for that. And, you know, in the modern era of, of facilities and improvements and competition with other schools off the field, you know, facilities is, is kind of where it's at. And I think uh, that addition of an indoor practice facility as well as the new weight room, uh, et cetera, going on in that south end zone complex. It's going to change the look of the stadium a little bit, give you a full 360-degree concourse area that you can walk at the very least. I don't know if there's going to be seating down there, but you can actually walk the stadium in, in a bowl when, when that thing is completely said and done. I think that will just add a lot to the, to the whole game day experience. And then even outside the stadium, going back to the fan base, the tailgating this year, the the scene in the parking lot this year was was nothing like I've seen in, in now my you know six seasons being around Texas State athletics. Definitely exciting to hear. I think when you think of the state of Texas in the Sun Belt, the, the resources y'all are going to have, the fan base that y'all could potentially get this season, bouncing off of, of year one with Coach Kenny. Definitely a lot of exciting stuff. We'll leave you with this, Clint. This team, as we mentioned, gets back weapons like TJ Finley, Ismail Mahdi, Joey Hobart on offense, some losses on the defense, some losses to a defensive coordinator as well. The schedule seems a little bit more favorable yeah. heading into the year. What do you think the ceiling is for this Texas State team in year two under Coach Kenny? Certainly, you like to have seven games at home, and and one of your road games is in Houston. Uh, you know, taking on Sam Houston at, at NRG, so it's a game that's certainly travel. You know, a travel destination for Texas State fans. So call it seven point five home games. You know, being that one of them's three hours away in state, you always like that. Um, yeah, the home games: Arizona State, UTSA. Obviously, you know the Sun Devils will reload just like any. Um, what are they about to be? A Big 12 team? It's hard to keep up anymore. Um, like any Power 5 team, they're going to be able to reload. UTSA, even without Frank Harris, uh, you know, the mindset of Jeff Trailer and and his especially defense and the way he coaches football, UTSA is not going anywhere. There's going to be another great ball game at, uh, at Bobcat Stadium. And then, of course, the Sun Belt race, uh, we'll see – Georgia State and I guess Old Dominion out of the out of the East, as well as the the usual gauntlet that is the West. You know, some about West likes to beat up on each other uh, week to week. And uh, you know, <clears throat> is it pie in the sky to say ten wins? I don't know if it is or not. Having your quarterback back and having that quarterback be T.J. Finley is such a big piece of it. Ishmael Mahdi, if he's a hundred percent healthy. Um, it's just not the biggest guy in the world, but certainly he proved his toughness, you know, through the course of the season, a, a guy who, if you include the bowl game carried for more than 200 carries on the season, more than 1300 yards on the year has certainly proven his toughness. Denario Davenport's, you know, hit the portal. Jamel Jeter's gone. Lincoln Perry should be back transfer from Arkansas state who led the team in rushing last season. Um, you know, almost kind of a, He's different than Mahdi in that he uh, may be a little bit more of a – he's not the size of Jamel Jeter, but kind of runs like Jeet did. He's, he's, got a, he's got a tough inside presence for not being a great, big, huge guy. So I'm interested to see what the running back room looks like with some of those guys who have, who have moved on, plus some of the guys that have come back. And you look down that list, and 
nine wins, 10 wins. It's certainly possible. Everybody wants to go 12 and 0. Is that realistic? Uh, you know, for most football teams, I'd say no. What? And the only two that were left met, you know, last Monday night in the national championship game. So, uh, somewhere along the way, there's there's a stumble. Uh, you, you try and pick, pick which one it's going to be, but nine, ten wins, certainly possible uh, with uh, the pieces coming back on offense and, and what I think will uh, have to be some improvement on defense. And I think certainly they know where their shortcomings were. That will be a big point of emphasis uh, in addressing in the in the in the recruiting race here. Well, certainly a, an exciting offseason ahead for Texas State, and hopefully a, a great second year under GJ Kenny. Clint, we've appreciated the insight today. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. Always good to uh, be with you guys. Enjoy uh, y'all's uh, content you put out on Twitter. Happy to be a part of it. Let's do it again. Caden, we continue to say after talking with these radio voices at these schools how much knowledge we glean and. You know, one of the biggest takeaways for me in talking with Clint is we asked him about G.J. Kinney basically calling his shot at the beginning of the year. He said, we're going to light up the scoreboard. His team goes on to do that. And I think it's huge for the Sun Belt to see Texas State starting to rise back to prominence. Definitely. You can't discount the turnaround this team was able to achieve just in one year under Coach Kinney. And they really just had all of the tools to, to man this turnaround. You talk about the the mass transfer portal turnover that he was able to do with his roster, setting up his his first year players, whether no matter whether there are guys that were in the program before joined the program this year, setting them up all for success. A lot of these guys were having career seasons, especially on the offensive side of the ball, where you just saw so many different players thrive from the quarterback to the offensive lineman up front to the receivers out wide. And that's just how you build a culture in today's game of football, at least on the field. When you talk about on the field, having an exciting place to play when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, being able to put fans in the seats with an exciting brand of football that also can produce wins is something you can't you can't buy these days in college football it's something that every program's looking for Texas State clearly found a guy that was able to do that and it was just great hearing that inside perspective of how that looked just from the moment coach Kenny started to the end which Clint was able to detail for us in that ep- in that conversation well and Kane let's be honest the term sleeping giant has been thrown out for at least this season in terms of Texas State this is a program there in Texas, which obviously you talk all the time about the the recruiting base, the talent that comes out of the state of Georgia, and rightfully so. But Texas is not far behind, and Texas State seems to be finding a niche not only to maybe bring in some of those high school guys before they leave the state, but maybe even being able to get some of those guys to come back after they've had careers. And I think that should have a lot of people in the Sun Belt scared because it feels like this sleeping giant might be starting to wake up under G.J. Kinney. Yeah, Texas State is uniquely positioned geographically in the conference, obviously, with them being the only school that's represented in the state of Texas. And the fact that they weren't successful throughout history of their program up until Coach Kenny starting and really being able to capitalize on their geographic location alone is huge for this team. And it sounded like from Clint's perspective, now this program going forward will probably continue to keep leveraging the things that can work in their favor, whether that's their fan base, whether that's their donor base, the recruiting base that they have. This program is uniquely positioned in a lot of ways to be successful. And I think Coach Kinney is going to be the kind of guy to exploit those weaknesses and have other teams in the Sun Belt wishing that they would have maybe recruited in Texas more. Maybe they were running an offensive system that's more attractive for transfer portal recruits, high school recruits, all that kind of stuff. When I was previously 
talking about Coach Helton and Georgia Southern and how their offense is going to breed people wanting to come and play for that offense. Coach Kenny's now doing the same thing in a state that has a ton of football pedigree. And I think this could potentially be, like you mentioned, maybe the first hour of the snooze period of the sleeping giant as they maybe start to gain some momentum going forward and can continue building on this first season. And maybe the sky's the limit potentially with this Texas program. Yeah, huge 2023 season. I think a good season in store, maybe a great season in store for 2024. Caden, all I got to say is it might be tough to keep G.J. Kinney long-term in San Marcos if he keeps having some success. Well, it's time to turn our attention to the Old Dominion Monarchs now. Caden, this ODU team surprised many of us who covered the Sun Belt. They did that to the tune of a 6-6 and regular season. They get to a bowl game after winning those final two games of the regular season to become bowl eligible. And let's be honest, partner, more times than not, this team had us on the edge of our seats, particularly late in games this year. What are you going to remember most about the Monarch season in 23? Yeah, there's no question. I'm definitely going to remember the close games and watching a lot of fourth quarters of Old Dominion games on the edge of my seat. But I think outside of kind of just that fan entertainment you get from watching close games, it was really just impressive to watch this team grow and mature throughout the year and have that mentality of not flinching in the fourth quarter of games, not being afraid to stand toe-to-toe with the conference's best, even some of the the country's best teams when you look at what they were able to do this season. I think that says a lot about a team that wasn't really necessarily oozing with talent. We didn't come into the season talking about how much great, how many great players and talented players this team had. We talked about some of their big losses that they had in the transfer portal. I think for them to come back with this year's team, grow and mature throughout the season, take their lumps early in the season of highlighted by that Texas A&M commerce game. But then after that kind of getting a getting on a roll, getting some momentum, figuring themselves out and figuring out their own formula of how to win games and sticking to that was just awesome to see. And I think going forward, if this team continues to get more talent, continues to buy more into Coach Ronnie's culture, we could see this maybe even be kind of the floor of what this team's potential is in the Sun Belt moving forward. Well, Old Dominion's Ted Alexander, he's in the waiting room. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to review the Monarchs 2023 season. Well, we are excited to be joined by the voice of the Old Dominion Monarchs, Ted Alexander, as we continue our in-review series. Ted, thanks for taking some time to come on the Prairie and Smith podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, Ted, let's jump right in. This is a, a team in Old Dominion that last offseason you lose your top passer, you lose your top rusher and wide receiver, and that's all coming off of a 3-9 and nine finish in year two under Ricky Ronnie. But then this team goes on to go 6-7. and seven. They make a bowl game exceeding, I think, what many people's expectations were. Given last offseason and where the expectations are heading into this year, you know, what were some of the expectations internally for this team? Well, I think they, 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 they needed to get more than three wins, first of all, and they needed to play an interesting style of ball game and find some student athletes that could get it done, uh, both offensively, defensively, and special teams. And I think uh, uh, the, the idea of, uh, of a new offensive coordinator coming in, despite the level uh, was exciting to a lot of folks. The question would be, did he have the parts? You know, he had the know-how and the schemes. Did he have the the players that could pull it off? And I think in many occasions they did. In others, other occasions they did. Thanks for joining us again, Ted. And you mentioned it. One of the bigger storylines for this program in the offseason was the addition of new offensive coordinator, Kevin Decker. He obviously had success at the FCS level and adopted kind of that Josh Heupel, Tennessee type of style of offense, which clearly played it paid off this season. Why would you think it's, it was so crucial for Coach Ronnie to bring such a change radically on the offensive side of the ball? And how did you see that offense kind of grow throughout this past season? 
Well, they started to figure it out. I mean, just imagine uh, if you're Grant Wilson, you come in and you know the scheme, but you don't know any of the players you're playing with and all that type of stuff. And you've only thrown, what, a handful, literally, of passes in your FCS career. You come in in your first games at Virginia Tech, have a nice day. Uh, he got better as the season went along. The team got better as the season went along. A lot of folks, you know, we hear about changing of, of OCs and those types of things at all levels of football. And you think, okay, it's just going to happen this week. They'll be better. It takes a while for everybody to get on the same page and to be able to execute it like you envision executing it. And I think as the season went on, the Monarchs got a little bit better at that. And Wilson got much better as the season went along. Ted, obviously we can read on Twitter what fans think about changes. Uh, when you talk to the fans in bringing in this new offensive coordinator, how pleased were Monarch fans with kind of the changes they saw offensively from this team this year? Well, I think they were a little grumpy early on, and, and I think they, they appreciated the team's moxie and the no-give-up uh, attitude throughout the rest of the season and battling to, to get to six and six and make the bowl game. Uh, you know, nobody's patient anymore. It's hard to be patient because you're putting down real money to go watch the product and you want real results with that investment. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. I know these guys really made a mark for themselves with their effort on the field, both offensively, defensively, and with special teams. And that'll endear them into the Monarch Nation hearts. It was something that definitely endeared them to our hearts. We'll get into that a little bit later on in this episode, but with that offensive change, obviously you mentioned comes the addition of Grant Wilson. He had one of the strongest performances of any quarterback in the, in the league this year in week two versus Louisiana. Then he gets benched at times following some disappointing play, but then he closes the season well. He makes some impressive plays with both his arm and legs down the stretch to get this team to a bowl game. Assess for us Grant's first season at Old Dominion, and, and what are your expectations for him as he moves into year two? I think he's going to get better and better. He's a great kid. He learns. He's uh, maneuverable. He can can turn something, uh, turn nothing into something, which is really nice. And he has the ability to go out there and make a play. And when you need that out of your quarterback, it's so refreshing to be able to have a guy that's going to go out there and when all heck is breaking loose around him, he can still figure it out. And he did that numerous times this season. And it was nice to see that because in this day and age, the protection's not always going to hold. The receivers aren't always going to run the right route. And as a QB, you're going to have to turn it all into a delicious stew. And he did that more often than not this year. Now, there's definitely reason to believe that Grant was a great chef in the offense this year, and he could continue to grow next season. He's definitely a player that we're going to continue buying stock in, I think, heading into 2024. But I think the biggest defensive difference maker on this team, without a question, is Jason Henderson. You've been able to watch him play now as become one of the nation's top tacklers is just one of those sideline to sideline linebackers that every defense wants. We've had him on the show. We're familiar with him and his game, but you could, could you tell us maybe what the best part about watching him play lead leading this ODU defense the last couple of seasons? A lot of people say they love the game. He says that he loves the game. He shows you every single snap and rep that he loves the game. He's, he, you know, he's, he's a really hard worker at practice he really flies after the ball. He's a guy that just stands out on any tape you look at because of the effort he's giving. He's, he, he helps his teammates. He's a great teammate, and, and what a great guy to, uh, to have on your team. And, and you know when he went down with the injury, it was just so crushing, just uh, literally and figuratively, because he is the heart and soul of the Monarch football team. So, Ted, how much do you think that injury to Jason affected this team in the bowl game? Uh, when you take out a guy that's averaging, what, 14 tackles a game, 12 tackles a game, and you notice that as the game goes on against Western Kentucky, you're having more difficulty making tackles, 
I, I think if he was in there, it might have been a different result, or at least he might have sort of steadied things defensively when it seemed like the bottom had dropped out. Yeah, it seems like he's kind of been the the rudder to that ship, to use that analogy, over the last couple of seasons. But Ted, you alluded to it earlier, and I think you know one thing that we both, Kate and I, admired about ODU was the grit and toughness that they showed this year. This is a team that goes toe to toe with James Madison and Marshall. They go two and zero to end this year to get into a bowl game. They never flinched in big moments, honestly. Speak about the character of this team and some of those intangible qualities that are tough to quantify when you look at the stat sheets. I think the thing that I'll remember about the 2023 season is out of the 13 games you played, what, 11 one-score games? And it's mind-boggling, you know, for for better or for worse. You know, sometimes they're on the right side of that, and it should have been a bigger uh, uh, point differential. But just to hang in there in every game, to battle back in every game, in some cases to blow leads in certain games. You know, you just have to have a, a makeup that says play the next play, we're going to play 60 minutes, we're going to do our darndest. And I, I think you could saw, see that you know, against a lot of teams, you could see in the warm-ups, the Monarchs weren't as big as the guys warming up at the other side of the field, but they have something in their heart that makes them think they can compete with those that are taller and stronger and can jump. Uh, higher and run faster, and they just battle. They 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 go out there and compete, and that was the a refreshing thing to see because you don't always see that. No, there's no question that you, you knew when you were turn, tuning into an Old Dominion game this past season that you knew you were getting a good game, whether they were on the winning side or losing side of things, and definitely looking forward to them hopefully pulling out more of those close games and turning them into wins in 2024. But a lot of that probably has to do with Coach Ronnie. Ricky Ronnie's now been the head coach of this program for three seasons. He took this team into the Sun Belt and. He's led this team to two bowl games now. From your perspective, could you maybe put his tenure into perspective for the audience and maybe share some areas that maybe his coaching staff or team can continue to grow as we look into the future with him at the helm? Well, I think it's it's so difficult to establish, establish your culture when your roster's turning over so much now. And that's happened more in the last couple of years than when he started. I mean, I love the vibe he has. I love the staff he has. They're young. They're energetic. They're feisty. They're competitors. Uh, and they try and instill that in each and every player on the team. But when you're turning over 50 guys a, a year, it's hard to to get the the roots to grow deeper uh, into the soil. Now, you can do it, and it does happen in certain circumstances. That'll just be the, the challenge for Coach Ronnie and his staff to, to make sure that the folks are here, are plugged in, ready to go, ready to compete, and ready to give their best. And he's done a good job of that thus far. Just have to make a couple more plays here and there, and, and hopefully the, the record can tilt. Ted, it brings up an interesting point there. I mean, obviously, we have seen a, a lot of defections over the last couple of years, uh, you know, people leaving for what many would say are bigger programs. But I think Old Dominion has a history over the last couple of years of still sending guys to the league. Why is this an Old Dominion program that people should consider staying at? Because there obviously is this clear path to an NFL future. I, I think if that's the goal and that's what you're shooting for, they're going to find you. And if you're good, they're going to find you. These NFL scouts, it's a, you know, it's a billion-dollar industry, multi-billion-dollar industry. They're going to find the best talent. They found talent for the National Football League at Old Dominion. And I think if you come here and, and get your education, maybe get that second degree if you're going to redshirt, you have a huge opportunity to set yourself up for the future. And if that future includes professional football, they'll find you, and you'll be able to do that as well. Well, the numbers speak for themselves. Old Dominion had more players drafted last year than any other Sunbelt school, so hopefully they can keep that trend going in the future under Coach Ronnie. Ted, we're going to end with this. We're heading into the 2024 season now, and 
This team's clearly taken better shape but compared to 2022 into this 2023 season we just saw. They have a number of key pieces coming back. There's also some big losses that come with a transfer portal and other things. What do you think or what are your expectations? What do you expect this Old Dominion team to look like in 2024, if you could forecast that? You know, that there's the art, Caden. Who can forecast that? Uh, <laughs> you know, we can be as accurate as weather forecasters. Oops, missed that one. Uh, the thing is, with all the turnover, you have to wait until the dust settles. You have to see, you know, which puzzle pieces are going where. You, you figure out slowly but surely when you're on the inside, and I'm certainly not there, but those that are on the inside are understanding of the guys that are a little bit more antsy uh, about their existence at Old Dominion or other institutions and might be more likely to jump. Uh, but the jumping is is never going to stop. And that's the thing that makes it all a crapshoot. You can get, have a guy right there, classes started this week. You can have someone on board. You hope they're going to hang in there and be good players, but they might've just been getting out of a bad situation and looking for any port in the storm. Same thing for guys leaving Old Dominion. They might've had a pretty good thing here, but they think the grass is greener. They're going to take a shot. They certainly, it's will within their right to take that shot. You just hope it works out for them. And I'd like to see stats down the road once we start uh, uh, leveling off with this portal stuff and see, all right, how many guys are bettering their football opportunities by leaving places like Old Dominion? Well, Ted, certainly, I think asking all the right questions, it's going to be interesting to see when the dust settles in years ahead, uh, you know, the answers to those questions. But appreciate you taking some time to come on and, and talk about the recently completed Old Dominion season and uh, look forward to uh, catching up in the future again. Noah and Caden, appreciate you having me. Love your work and keep on keeping up. Okay, and that was a great conversation, a little bit of more insight into the Old Dominion season. And one of my biggest takeaways was simply the evolution of the offense this year from Old Dominion. This is a team that last year you lose your offensive coordinator very early on in the season. You're forced to kind of play from behind all year. You kind of restock the kitchen cabinet this year under a new offensive coordinator. And suddenly this offense became very good. And I think there's room for continued growth as we look ahead to 2024. Yeah, I still get flashbacks to some of the conversations we were having two seasons ago about this Old Dominion team and some of their offensive limitations and how they were really doing their defense a disservice. I was talking in length about how this defense wasn't as bad as a group as they were advertised as bad as their numbers were saying. And a lot of it was because they weren't getting any help from their offense. This year, the offense injects some new life into it with a new coordinator. We talked about Kevin Decker and him being able to make that instant impact and really creating and designing an offense that emulates what Tennessee is doing with Josh Heupel, where spacing matchups and all of those things are, are major keys in getting their playmakers the ball in space. We saw them kind of get off the starting blocks, not as strong as they'd like to, but eventually catching our rhythm, especially with Grant Wilson at quarterback. And it was definitely great to hear Ted talk about some of the belief and some of the things we talked about this season as far as Grant Wilson growing as a quarterback, having that element of his legs being added to the offense. And hopefully next season he continue to build on that and we can see this offense maybe go from kind of its graduate level to its master's level as far as him being under center, being able to move the chains even more effectively for this team and hopefully better complement a defense that's kind of been more of their calling card the first two years in the Sun Belt. Caden, for a guy who talks about culture all the time, uh, it feels like the culture is a little bit underrated up at Old Dominion as well. Yeah, it's something you can't buy and it's something you can't really get a pulse on. I feel like when you're talking about teams in the offseason until you really get into the year. And I think when you look at a team that had a disappointing first season in the Sun Belt, it's easy to say, hey, their culture isn't strong. Clearly, they don't have that winning culture. But then watching what they were able to do this year with Ricky Ronnie in his second year in the Sun Belt, it can, you can tell just from how his players play, their emotions, their body language on the sideline and on the field 
this is a team that now looks themselves in the mirror and doesn't see the scene, the team they saw in 2022. They see a team that they feel can stand toe to toe with anyone they face and pull out wins. We saw that when they played against Appalachian state and won that game, followed that with two very close games against a ranked James Madison team at the time and a coastal Carolina team where they lost in very narrow margins. And if you play those games back a couple of times, maybe they're, they're able to end up getting those wins. I love watching this team get two back-to-back wins to make bowl eligibility when it mattered most to end the season. And I think that could serve as possibly as a small microcosm of what the character of this team could be next year, as they've kind of taken that identity of their head coach, kind of taken that grit and toughness and can carry that into all of their games next year. And now they, it's going to be a little bit different because teams definitely know that there's there's a little bit of something going on for sure at Old Dominion, and we can't take this team lightly anymore. Definitely a step forward for Old Dominion in 2023. Now they will try to build on it in 2024. Well, that'll do it for our fourth episode in our Sunbelt in Review series. Again, we'd like to say a special thank you to Texas State's Clint Shields, as well as Old Dominion's Ted Alexander for joining us for today's conversations. Kane and I can't wait to continue reviewing each of the Sunbelt team's 2023 seasons over the next couple of weeks. Before you go, though, don't forget, we're coming back on Monday. We are taking a break from our in-review series to welcome a special guest, and honestly, it's a big one. Sunbelt Commissioner Keith Gill will join us to discuss the league's 2023 year, as well as its current trajectory in this ever-evolving landscape of college football. You're not going to want to miss this one-of-a-kind conversation. That'll do it for us here at the Furry and Smith Podcast. Before you go, here's one thing you can do. Tell a friend about the Furry and Smith Podcast. Help us continue to grow this show into the premier destination for Sunbelt football fans. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Freire. We really appreciate you spending time with us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Monday.